opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent. Well, we know who the hard left are in the you know ascendancy within the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation. Hard left wing position. Hard left. 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 Welcome to Real Politic. I'm here with Jack. Hello. And I'm Yair, of course, and we're going to be talking about film today. I'm Tim Heidecker, and this is Greg Turkington. Welcome to <laughs> On Cinema, At the Cinema. Duh, duh, duh. When you got movies like Tom Cruise in them, you can't lose. <laughs> yeah, so we've just been, I, I guess, catching up on lots of films uh, we've we have. seen recently. Uh, Films, films, We're films. Gonna, yeah, there, there's a few in particular that we've both seen, which I think we'll probably focus on. Yeah. That makes sense, but uh, yeah, just a general catch-up. Yes, so today we are reviewing the new album, Sit on the Charts. So, no, coming <laughs> in at number one on the Real Politic Charts, it is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with Ghost Dean. Kiss ahead of baby. A haunting new record about carrying on after an earth-shattering loss. A beautiful album. We're not doing music. Did, I was going to say, did I fall through a dimensional warp <laughs> or something? Uh, I'm not prepared for this episode. No, I, I have also heard quite a lot of uh, recent albums, but that is not what we're talking today. Talking about today, we. Uh, although I did actually watch no less than three films of or pertaining to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, but due diligence, <laughs> absolutely, just for that little that that like twenty second bit on this episode, I did so Don't much research. Ever say that this show is unresearched? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, we, like we are discussing the new film releases that are currently in cinemas. Although, I'll be honest, like, 
I have not been to the cinema since, like, I think early August when I went to see It Part 2 <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it Chapter 2, sorry, and I thought the film was fucking terrible and I have not been to the cinema since because I'm very wary about spending <laughs> my money on such an enterprise now. Like, I'm kind of curious to see Joker, but after getting burned by It Chapter 2, I'm not going to go and pay money and, and, and have suffer the indignity of being seen paying to go and sit in a mainstream film. I'm not, I'm not going to do that for Joker now, just in case it turns out to be as fucking shockingly subpar as it chapter <laughs> two was i mean that's film. great i do have to ask of all things what would appeal to you about the joker what, what... it's for discourse man you know the discourse for discourse i don't you, you, you like, don't you I, don't follow I've, I've never heard you carry any water for anything superhero well, I don't, but but I should point out that the Joker is is if anything the uh, the mortal nemesis of, of the superhero. And he, you could say that he's the polar opposite. You know, um, well, no, it's it's because because you're not online enough. You don't uh, see all the discourse that's happening about the Joker. It's literally incessant people on Twitter talking about it. Like one minute, it's like it's fascist and then the next minute it's like it's left wing actually and then the next minute it's like it's neither it's just a piece of trash and then the next minute it's like no it's good art but forget the politics and the next minute it's like it's a rallying cry for incels and then it's like (laughs) actually it's got a really sturdy class analysis and is all about the effects of austerity on vulnerable people so yes i'm curious to see the joker for the first time uh in uh superhero movie history or at least (laughs) i think i went to see iron man 3 in 2013 uh, yeah that's fair <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah so i fuck man yeah of course i want to see the joker it just sounds like an absolutely i'm interested in bad art that tries to ape good art so it, it it's this like fucking film about a fucking comic book clown but like they've copied like the all the shit from king of comedy for it basically it's it's uh, <laughs> you know it, it's apparent okay robert de niro literally so it's like an origin story yeah it's an origin a story failed comedian he he's a failed comedian <laughs> whose uh mental health uh, support and social services and stuff has been slashed by uh gotham's austerity <laughs> regime and uh Goddamn yeah. david cameron and he... his tenure as mayor of gotham city yeah well apparently uh bruce wayne's dad is in it as a kind of like donald trump figure which is again interesting <laughs> he's, he's not this like benevolent millionaire he's this he, he's just a cunt uh so right. so this is what i mean i'm getting a lot of this because because uh, chapo trap house did a, a, a riveting um defense of of the joker um uh, david i always pronounce his name wrong david eldritch <laughs> or something i think literally i complained about his review of of joke it's, sorry it's just called joker, yeah not the joker i i complained about his review of it because it was like three stars and it was just like it's good is it this it's bad. or is it that it's yeah. provocative <laughs> but it's actually banal it's you know um and so i was just like uh 
uh, and actually, I should inform you, but David Eld- Edelrich or whatever. Anyway, he's downgraded his review now and posted a lot more kind of. Oh, it's uh, gonna be, um, um, it, you know, people are gonna shoot up schools and cinemas because of it or whatever. And I, I don't know, man. I, I've actually, I'm very skeptical of the whole kind of like this film is dangerous because it portrays a bad character or do you, do you kind of get get what i mean it feels the, yeah. the discourse i mean lots it, of great lots of good films have nuanced villains yeah i mean i guess the thing is that this is like mainstream trash and something like scorsese's taxi driver or king of comedy the films that this film apes um are you know everyone's like Everyone knows this is a serious picture, and with this, right? But again, I don't know. It's a kind of like contemptuous view of people that people. Yeah, it just harkens back to you know, like video games are going to cause people to kill each other. Judas Priest, you know. Yeah, uh, play it backwards, and (laughs) yeah, exactly. You know, I don't, I don't. Then the Joker pops out and hands you a gun. Like no. Yeah, I don't think people are going to go and see this like mentally ill clown. Uh, who who's living in abject poverty uh, and has um, you know suffered a life of abuse and indignity and say yeah this is uh, uh, and anyway certain dream. people certain people will read into whatever they want whatever they want like I mean somebody did literally shoot up a theater after the was it the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Rises it was the I Dark Knight Rises one. so there wasn't even Dark any Dark... Joker in that one yeah there was no Joker in that one and it was he was Bane the bad guy his... in the last it, film it very was... explicitly the bad guy it was like... Bane with his irresponsible class war rhetoric it was <laughs> Bane radicalised the the, 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 um, uh, the forgotten people the underclass the uh, what, what, what the, the left behinds the legitimate concerns Bane was secretly working for Corbin yeah <laughs> <laughs> foment violence on the streets exactly uh, thank because of bane's irresponsible divisive populist rhetoric the momentum thugs laid waste <laughs> to you know everything around them um yeah i mean but uh, yeah i don't actually recall that happening um due to yeah maybe people like shot up a cinema showing suicide squad but that would have been just because of the the quality of the film <laughs> the people shoot snapping. the projectionist and save everybody yeah that, that um, would be them just seeing jared leto on the screen and trying to shoot the screen so that the, the, the <laughs> screening has to end prematurely and everyone has to go home because there's, it's a bullet hole riddled screen yeah, I don't want to get too deep into Joker because I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, you bet I will watch it. But also, you bet I will not pay for it because of again, it part two <laughs> really, uh, really burned me, man. <laughs> I've seen part one, but I, I, I don't know about the sequel. But I'm assuming it's not great. <laughs> well, I, I thought part one was okay. You know, I thought it was a solid mainstreamy, um kind of well i i I actually i like part one less now having seen part two because now i (laughs) i can see all the flaws of part two uh, reflected back in part one um right (laughs) but um but yeah i was kind of interested because it's like fucking three hours long i was like oh interesting how you know uh how are they gonna make the 
most of this like extraordinary canvas that they've got to paint this story on? The answer is not very well. It was uh, really <laughs> a fucking drag, man. I really wanted to like it. I gave it like I was kind of into it at first, and I gave it its best shot. But the humor just got grating, and it's not that funny. It's the fact that like so. Every, these mainstream films now, uh, apart from apparently Joker, which sounds like just relentless misery and woe, like they <laughs> they all feel like they've got to be like they've got to have comedy and horror and action and sentimentality uh, and you know whatever the fuck the fucking focus group that you ran the fucking script by and then ran the film by before you did reshoots uh, said they wanted in the film it's got to have everything and that's probably how I, why it's three hours long just taking on a massive massive amount of suggestions to try and make sure that everyone was happy um but also sure. Like, the other reason that it's so long is because, like, the climactic sequence goes on for, like, an hour. It is just endless fucking them chasing around this clown, and then the clown chases them, and then it just goes on and right. on. And you think <laughs> that they've got the better of the clown, but then the clown's got the better of them, and it's just interminable. And um, then, like, literally, I don't care because I think this film is garbage, but I'm going to spoil it. So anyone, like, skip forward on your, <laughs> on your podcast player of choice now if you still haven't watched it part two yet and you, you, you don't trust my opinions enough to avoid and, it. And you also never read the book or never watched oh, yeah. the original TV series. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, um, they literally, it turns out, they fucking just tell the clown over and over again that he is a clown until he like dies they're like (laughs) they're like pointing at this clown like you're just a clown clown like you know using pejorative like the power of fear so you're a clown yeah they're really like making the most of the double meaning of clown but like surely the clown (laughs) is aware that he is a clown like this this all-powerful kind of like demonic being like is surely like powerful enough to be aware that like you know some like shit yeah i chose this uniform i think clowns are scary Uh... yeah but but, but there are certain connotations to clowns like be they yes some people find them scary or the fact that they are a sort of supposedly a kind of like comedian (laughs) so you know you know the clown might have entertained at some point yes there is maybe something slightly ridiculous about the clown thing but you know what i'm going with it because it's scary fair enough but yeah what a melt he just completely like melts because they're all like you're a clown you're a clown and incidentally um the it in the joker film apparently uh bruce wayne or no thomas wayne causes a big controversy because he refers to the proletariat as clowns (laughs) and then so they start (laughs) wearing clown makeup and like killing rich people or something Uh, like i say the film sounds kind of cool you know (laughs) Yeah, you got me interested now, yeah. Yeah, so, so alright, well, enough of it, part two, and what, uh, chapter two, and the Joker, or whatever.
Uh, speaking of killing rich people, both of us watched um, <laughs> a British film from 2017 on Netflix called Us and Them. Yes. Not to be confused with a Netflix film called Us and Them that features an all-Chinese cast. (laughs) Uh, Yes, no, I'm not aware of that one. But um, yeah, this came out in 2017. It's directed by Joseph Martin, who has directed another film actually called Keep Quiet, um, about uh, which... Oh, here's, this, this is interesting. Um, so this is the description of Keep Quiet, which my man David Earl, uh, Ehrlich uh, has given three stars. Passionate in his anti-Semitic beliefs, Xanad Zgedi was the... This is really like on cinema <laughs> at the cinema because Tim Heidecker can never pronounce anyone's name. Um, <laughs> was the rising star of Hungary's far-right party until he discovers his family secret. His maternal grandparents were Jewish. The revelation prompts an improbable but seemingly heartfelt conversion from anti-Semite to Orthodox Jew. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so sticking with the kind of political themes... Joseph Martin's next film the following year, which is actually even shorter than that 90-minute film. I mean, Us and Them it is... Uh, I mean, it didn't actually feel too short, not in a bad way, but it... Uh, no, it, it was quite slickly edited, actually. Um, mm, I mean, yeah, we, we can get to that, but th- I mean, this film has got every fucking cinematic trick in the book. Um, and I'm not seeing a great response to this movie on Letterboxd, you know? Um, mm. but you know, I thought it was actually really good. I don't, I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish. Um, some some real moments where you're rooting uh, for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some some moments. Also, some or, moments where you're like, I, I hope that that lady doesn't get burnt to death alive. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but then yeah. spoiler alert, she doesn't. So. Wait, doesn't she? Well, I mean, she she they do in the end, but uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> double spoiler alert. She doesn't <laughs> when you think it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, no, that's true, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, this is very much a film about. Uh, well, it's a class conscious kind of hostage thriller, I suppose. It's uh, it you know, it's a film about class resentment, about. Uh, kind of like Joker being beaten down by society for so long that you just kind of snap and you want to make a point and you want to show the rich fucks, in this case a banker and his family, what's what. So, I mean, how would you describe the, the plot of this film? You've watched it even su- even more recently than I did. Yeah, like a few hours ago. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I watched it yeah. last night. Well, it's... Too relatable. I, I, I did find it quite uncomfortable viewing at times because of like, like mm, examining my own mental health and being like, mm. but um, <laughs> I don't know. The, the character at its center, he is definitely he. You know, he's not right. You know, he is clearly suffering from some kind of mental problems, but that doesn't mean that his political point. It isn't valid, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, there's just this plan, uh, and I think it's... I'm not sure what the original plan was, because I do remember him saying how it went wrong, and it didn't mean for him to go this way, but, like, they end up taking these three people hostage. Yeah. Uh, this, this banker and his family, and... Um, Basically, the to- like psychologically torturing the banker seems to be the plan, and then he's just going to go away. But of course, it doesn't quite end up like that. No, um, I mean his mates <laughs> have some other ideas, don't they? Yeah, they, they're a bit, they're a little more interested in money. Whereas yeah, let's he's say more not everyone a... is as idealistic as uh, for, as Danny, the main the main character in yeah. this film. Yeah, and- he's got this whole idea that if they steal anything, then the whole message is ruined, and they've got to just videotape this person's psychological suffering and physical suffering at times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, one of the other two heisters seems to be particularly interested in money, and then the third guy's just sort of like, can't we all just get along? And I did find it interesting, right. because the banker guy does seem to try to... He does pounce on that, and it does... Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I really don't think so with this. But I, I feel like it's how the rich do try to wave the carrot of like, exactly. oh, you know, some poor people manage to make it and manage to make big things of themselves. So here, have this money if you turn Divide on all your friends. Exactly. Yeah. Setting people's yeah, interests against each other rather than in, in a united class interest. Completely, yeah. Yeah, I, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it turns out, of course, that the mate who's been can't we all get along? Rather, he's he's if anything the sort of uh, Kevin Spacey and the Usual Suspects of the whole uh, the whole film, <laughs> in that he's uh, he's been kind of biding his time. It turns out, and he's actually uh, got some Machiavellian instincts himself. But um, I mean, so. This film, I felt going in, like, just from premise, it could have been fairly by the numbers as filmmaking. But, man, it really wasn't. They threw the kitchen sink at this film. There is Mm. every, as I said earlier, stylistic tick in the book. Every trick and tick, you know, you can it, imagine. Uh, there is. It a... could just be because hey, it was and and not it was diachronic, right? Where it's not in the right order. Not only uh, a narrative, but, yeah. Yeah, but like uh, it could most it could be that. But I also did. Yeah, it felt a bit like a sort of British Tarantino film. In it a way. did, yeah, better yeah. than fucking Guy Ritchie. I mean, there's no class consciousness in his oh, fucking yeah. film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, For sure. you know. Yeah, but but if anything, I did feel kind of like I did see a little bit of Guy Ritchie in it. Just, but, but but yeah, mainly it was that kind of Tarantino thing. If you'll get funny captions, you'll see mm. somebody's fantasies acted out on screen in a little cutaway. You know, yeah, um, you have, and you'll know stuff that the characters don't know, like when the what's his name Eddie or the guy they knock out at the beginning, Glenn, the real Glenn, Glenn yeah, is, Glenn. is about to shoot with the gun that we all know is a BB gun, and he's like. <laughs> Blasting away these guys and they're just getting hit with pe- with BBs and you're yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> you could take someone's eye out with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 and um, yeah. I mean, I liked the bit with Glenn where because uh, you don't see him for most of the film and he shows up. It's <laughs> incredibly fucking hateful eight actually, but it was like uh, he. It, 
one of them was like, Glenn, what the fuck have you been up to? And then the caption, <laughs> what the fuck Glenn's been up Glenn to? Glenn been up to, yeah. yeah. And it turns out he's been humping a saw in the get in the shed. Yeah, that's I mean, it's, that's pretty funny. Like, literally, they cut and it's been hours and it's gone dark <laughs> by the time he finishes doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, it's amazing none of them heard the shed. Just like... <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, what what I liked was that they both kind of go in there and one of them, he's got his political principles and one of them has got his, uh, uh, you know, urgent need to make a load of money. Um, Almost practical. Like, yeah, it's a lot yeah. of money, but I mean, they, he, they are, they're he, poor. even he gets a fantastic speech about how like does his boss really uh you know yeah provide more work than 200 uh, years of his work you know well like, exactly and that that's uh, what i was going to get to is that both <laughs> both of them no no it's fine i'm glad that we're going in the same place but like both of them um are driven much further than their their original intentions just by the sheer loathsomeness of this rich bastard uh, like yes he very honorably protects his family uh, and he he refuses to pick one of his daughter or, or wife until i think he finally picks his wife like um after being waterboarded yeah despite being waterboarded yeah um and then i don't think there's a really i don't think there's much political stuff to that Really, no, it's uh, that's more just uh, and really, that is the only good thing that could be said about the banker character well, is he even, did not throw his family immediately under the bus, but even that <laughs> goes back to his philosophy on life, which is I take care mm. of my own, which he said, Yeah, at one point I've just always looked after my own and no one else, and he is mm. just such a repugnant fuck for both of them. Uh, both the guy who's interested in politics and the guy who's interested in money are driven way <laughs> beyond um, their original intentions just by what a hateful country. Exactly. Yeah, originally they were going to call off the plan, and then this guy's just like, You will never be with my daughter. <laughs> I care too much about class about to ever be dealing with you. And he's just like, All right, let's continue on with the plan then. Uh, fuck <laughs> it. Um, and then the other guy who cares about money more was just going to walk away with the money and leave everyone, probably. But then he just keeps talking and keeps talking and yeah. digging that hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I I just I honestly did think this was really good, and um, I never felt that kind of like as with the Joker. No, I don't think that what he's doing in this film is acceptable. But mm. I don't think it's a crime for a filmmaker to depict a character who does this. And I think that what has driven them to this point is um, something that should should be depicted. You know, because people are driven to desperation and to violence and crime by the world around them. You know, people aren't just created evil. Yeah, you know? and I'm not saying that the, that the characters in this film are evil, but uh, but 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 you know, they're 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 certainly driven to some some acts that are you know reprehensible in a way. Yeah. The violent ones, really, not the stealing <laughs> watches or whatever. That's that's absolutely fine. Steal as many watches as you want. Uh, the sort of setting people on fire is not good. No, I don't condone it. Really, I mean, 
Yeah, when the when the Buddhist monks did it during the Vietnam War, that was to themselves to make a yeah. again, make a political point. <laughs> uh, but you know, it is it's a bit more excusable if you do that to yourself. This is, at the same time, I was definitely I was enjoying him uh, drowning the banker. Oh yeah, well, you know, were we all? Yeah. yeah, of course, and. Um, yeah, this uh, like put it, the bankers up against the wall, but not their families. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, although, <laughs> or his family were like were assholes. Yeah, well. no, they weren't good either. I mean, actually, you they know, can at least get trials. You know, you don't. I mean, um, the daughter doesn't uh, seem very nice, but but you don't get to know the um, the mother particularly well. Um, no. Yeah, but it's mainly the banker who's who's a complete asshole, and they want to. Um, you know, they, they want to sort of get, get to his family because it's the only thing that he cares about. Um, in terms of, like, the, the sheer, like, hyperkinetic uh, stylization of this film, I'm trying to think what some of the other tricks they did. Well, there's that scene where they're in the pub and there there's the 360 tracking shot around mm. them, uh, which is very, very showy. Uh, there's a scene where he's standing there ranting at the rich man you know danny the main character and there's a load of smash cuts you know yeah kind of in the middle of what he's saying um so is, is there anything else like that you know um i mean it's sort of just to do with the titles but i did like at the end that um well not quite at the end but near the end where it's was like get i forget what the title was was it um get the rewards that you have coming or something like that you know oh yeah um, and it's like the scene where the rich guy is helping the thief get into the safe and then they discuss some more and he ends up being like, fuck you and killing <laughs> the guy. Yeah. Uh, the rich and it's guy... like somebody got the reward they were after, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, the rich guy, yeah, he kind of says, you know, you, you basically get rewarded according to how hard you work. And that's when the other guy <laughs> does the speech where he says, as you said earlier, um, do you really think that the boss of my company works like 200 times harder than I do or whatever. And right, I'd have yeah. to work three lifetimes to have worked as hard as this man. Mm. Uh, interestingly, a Tarantino connection, the film stars Jack Roth, who is the son of Tim Roth. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, and of course, Tim Roth has been in a number of Tarantino films. I mean, mainly Reservoir yeah. Dogs, Pulp Fiction... And the hateful eight. Good stuff. Interesting connection. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he's in Bohemian Rhapsody. A man, Jack Roth. Oh, he God, he looks quite a lot like Tim Roth. Actually, come to think of it, uh, I don't know who he plays in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. But yeah, I still haven't watched that because it looked fucking terrible, and I don't like. I have, and it was. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't really want to talk uh, about Bohemian Rhapsody. So, like, final thoughts on Us and Them. <laughs> I, I, you know, so I, I'll just say I thought that this film was, like, really refreshing. It was very class conscious. And I didn't feel like it was anti-revolutionary in its depiction of um, an act of violent interaction gone wrong. I felt like it mm. was you know merely a kind of like 
uh, a morally ambiguous story, but with a strong moral core of um, you know what what is actually happening in the world in terms of uh, the disparity between rich and poor is deeply yeah. wrong and is having a terrible effect on people. And I do feel like the way that they managed to wrap the film plot up makes at least some of the prior acts seem more like understandable and morally condonable by comparison mm. you know what i mean like a lot of people get their just desserts the ones that do the most harm yeah um get their just desserts and uh, uh like yeah it's kind of morally ambiguous the ending about whether you're supposed to be complete but at the same time it could have if it was going for a whole uh the poor are bad because look they're gonna be violent and you know hurt rich people yeah it could have made that a lot clearer if that was what they were wanting to go for yeah it's definitely definitely not not that message yeah (laughs) no i never felt like it was demonizing the poor i i I feel like it went like there was moments where you were felt like they were completely justified and then other moments where there was like oh no that's kind of dodgy and you're just sort of penduluming between the two but it doesn't really completely say all right this is awful or this is fantastic you know it's nuance yeah well they're they're portrayed as fallible human beings yeah but they are portrayed i would say sympathetically yeah Yeah. like even though they do bad things i personally did feel for all of the (laughs) protagonists really Um, yeah absolutely and again going back to the joker (laughs) i listened to mark hermo's review of it today and he was saying you're not supposed to find the character sympathetic and i thought that was a kind of cowardly defense of the film i say as someone who hasn't seen the (laughs) film yet because like you know if you're gonna defend the film i mean on its own terms surely like the shit that the that the joker had to endure does make him kind of sympathetic yeah the the way you were making it sound i was almost like does this mean batman's the bad guy if if you don't feel somewhat for for the guy who uh, according to everything i've read about this or heard about this film has to suffer terrible things then you know i really think you are just kind of getting into Mm. uh, a kind of um inhumane moralizing you know yeah inconsiderate kind of moralizing absolutely um it's easy to behave completely morally when you've got all your needs met you know yeah well it's It's not that easy apparently because these fucking bankers don't behave particularly morally (laughs) (laughs) easier doesn't mean that they do it (laughs) yeah (laughs) right so uh, us and them really solid film and great to see you know proper class conscious british british filmmaking and the other great thing is that for a british politically minded film no one can look at this and say it's about fucking brexit you know (laughs) (laughs) there's no fucking brexit context in this and the rich were rich before brexit and they still fucking are if any cunt has tried to bring up don't you you remember that line where you know jeremy corbyn appears in person and says uh, (laughs) 
we need no to Brexit leave. referendum. This would never have happened. Or I, I don't know. <laughs> Corbyn shows up and it's like, hey, you know, all your problems will be solved if we leave the EU. And and the main yes. characters are just like, fuck off, Jezza. We don't trust terrorist loving ponces like you. The authentic working <laughs> classes like us. We only care about bombing the Middle East. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's us and them. Bring back Tony. Bring back. Yeah, exactly. That's all the proletariat in this country ever talk about, man. Tony, 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 fucking Tony. Toss a dollar in the river and when he jump in, if you find he can swim with lead boots on him and do it again. You and a friend videotaping a party, don't win. Tell him that boogers be selling like crack. He gon' put the little baggies in his nose and suffocate like that. Put a fit in the barrel of a gun when they try to suck it out. <laughs> well, you know this one. Make sure you ain't got no priors. Don't tell him that we conspired. We can let him try to change a flat tire. Or we could all at once retire. These are just a few of the five million ways to kill a CEO. Slap him up and shake him up and then you know. Let him off the float and bait him with the dough. You can do it funk or do it disco. So, should we discuss a couple of new releases there? So, um, there were two films from 2019 that both of us watched, weren't there? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, the Day Shall Come, yeah. Okay, that was one of them. Yeah, that was the one I forgot. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, should we talk about The Day Shall Come? Yeah, that, that's a good another. That's a good next film to talk about. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, again, I know we're just doing the kind of on cinema at the cinema. I really liked it. Five bags of popcorn thing here, <laughs> but I really liked it. <laughs> you know. And I like Chris Morris in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the liberalism is strong in some of the reviews of this film. Actually, in the. A lot of reviews, including the one in The Guardian that gave it three stars recently, seem to find it quite implausible that the FBI would do something <laughs> like actively encourage terrorists in order to take credit for foiling them. Right. Even though that's totally a thing that happens. It's yeah. based on a hundred true stories, as the caption <laughs> in the film says. Um, in fact, I, I told my dad about this film that we were going to be talking about it, and he kind of said, oh, that's the kind of, uh, you know, that's the kind of conspiracy theory Donald Trump comes out with. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I forgot that, that thanks to uh, James Comey, uh, fucking liberals like the FBI now and <laughs> think the FBI are a force for good in the world. Right, yeah, yeah. As long as long as you oppose Trump, you're good. So that that's basically the plot, isn't it? So, uh, uh, Marshawn Davis plays this like uh, revolutionary <laughs> leader, I suppose. Um, I mean, they're, they're kind of like a religious organization, aren't they? They, they yeah. Fan- <laughs> they they've they got fan- some words about revolution, but it's a lot about like. It seems like a community farm, you know. Like, yeah, they uh, they like thank Jesus, Allah, and Black Santa. Black Santa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it's like, uh, yeah. So they they have a farm, but they're gonna lose their farm because <laughs> they're. Um... <laughs> yeah, they obviously make no money with their <laughs> enterprise. They're about to be evicted, um, and they desperately need cash. 
And who does it turn out happens to have some cash lying around <laughs> to give to this fledgling organization? The FBI. Yes. None other than the feds themselves. Um, so Anna Kendrick, who's quite funny in this, she plays the ambitious up-and-coming FBI person who mm. kind of gets in too deep. Um, and I felt, if anything, you know, the the compromise the film made was by having this person in the FBI who is kind of reasonable and is prepared to basically make sure that, spoiler, the characters just get sent to prison rather than shot. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Although, as the sort of post-film where they now thing goes, like they all end Promoted. up going to prison for twenty to thirty years. Yeah. Uh, th- th- sorry, all the people of color end up going to prison for twenty to thirty years without yeah. a trial because of plea bargains, uh, and all of the FBI get promoted. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, and and I mean, it's a pretty white FBI room, from what. I yeah. <laughs> there was like one vaguely ethnic looking person i guess yeah but i mean it's not like um having a few ethnic minorities in it makes the fbi not no. a white supremacist institution <laughs> so right. like um yeah i mean it's it's a funny it's a funny sort of film actually i mean it's quite short and it doesn't feel as ambitious as four lions but uh, there are some just classically hilarious moments like where the FBI is expecting um, the group to go and buy these guns. Uh, well, not buy them, get the guns for free from the FBI. Um, and instead, their leader goes to the FBI and reports that someone was trying to sell him guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I howled at that. Oh that, my that God, was it was such a good scene, yeah. bit. Yeah. It's, it's a really tightly written film. I mean, it's co-written by Morris himself and Jesse Armstrong, who has kind of had his finger in many British comedy-related pies for many years, mainly in the kind of Chris Morris, Armando Inucci circles. So, for example, Mm. um, well, Jesse Armstrong is probably best known as one of the two creators of Peep Show um, with Sam Bain. But, um, I mean, he also co-wrote Four Lions with Chris Morris and uh, wrote co-wrote In the Loop with Armando Inucci, wrote the Black Mirror episode, The Entire History of You, um, and other Mitchell and Webb projects as well, like the terrible 2007 film Magicians. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, it is really... um, There's a couple of sort of um, Morris, Inucci-adjacent people. I think Tony Roche and somebody else uh, credited with additional material as well. So... Mm. You know, you know, it's kind of like the highly professional, <laughs> precision-engineered level of comedy that you would expect from those guys. But um, I see. I don't know what Jesse Armstrong's politics are. Uh, probably terrible, given most <laughs> of that lot's politics are. But um, I mean, Chris Morris has been interviewed recently about how he thinks that. There's no point in doing satire if it does just have that kind of uh, oh, we're all in the club, you know. The kind of satire where Boris Johnson can become a figure of fun who you invite to present your show and then he goes on to become Prime Minister. You know, that's not really a worthwhile satire. (laughs) So he did an interview of Channel 4 where he talks about, you know, how really, like, punching up. Um, 
and 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 I feel like there's a lot of Morris's peers who would at this point in their lives kind of see the security services as basically a benevolent force as basically mm. at the end of the day for all their flaws good people doing the right thing trying to protect us and the freedoms that we hold dear and judging from the two films he's made as a director I don't think that's a view that Chris Morris would share um, given they're both about counter-terrorism and how uh, inept and amoral <laughs> and counterproductive. Yeah. Is. I mean, Chris, uh, sorry, Four Lions is not just about um, how inept many jihadist groups are. It's about how fucking terrible the, <laughs> the state are at, at, at solving, at foiling them and doing so in a, a, a mm. fair and just way. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely about how most of our enemies are imaginary. We create them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean... We are our own worst enemies. Yeah, and, well, it's kind of about how if you have a culture of, sort of, targets, you know, it's almost like the culture of economic growth uh, <laughs> has spread to, you know, perpetual growth has has kind of spread to, like, every kind of... Um, I, I'm, see, I, I started saying this, and I don't know if that's it's really dumb because i mean obviously like law enforcement agencies have always wanted like a head on a stick you know they've always wanted the big pile of drugs and cash that they can stand in front of for the photo op they've yeah. always wanted to um parade uh, parade something about to prove how they're doing their jobs properly but i think that the salient point that this film makes is that like when you do just kind of set targets be it like you want to foil a certain number of terrorist plots you want to uh cut down immigration a certain amount um and well, you, what does their informers say i i save you from 9-11 every other day or something yeah like yeah <laughs> like, then then, yeah. then you you drive towards those those targets at the expense of actually letting things run their natural course <laughs> so if you're looking for uh so and so many terrorist attacks to justify you know like the enormous budget that you're given by the state um and and so on yeah then... and and this whole justification of like we're stopping them from getting it on the open market by giving it to them ourselves like, <laughs> yeah exactly um and at the beginning with with the cell phone bomber and okay you you don't like right. fives let me type in the number for you we pretty much dialed that bomb ourselves like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> ab- absolutely funny film um great great stuff uh, good politics yeah absolutely i mean i really hope that we hear from chris morris uh right. sooner than it was a big gap 9 years time you know because that's the that's the space it's been you know that that's longer than the guy who did that um yeah cold in july and under the light of the moon film or whatever uh, at least this was really um, good. <laughs> yeah yeah um i think for all chris morris's released in the interim between the day shall come and four lions was um 
Well, he had a brief cameo in Richard Ayoade's film, The Double, which I quite liked. His sort of uh, black comic Dostoevsky adaptation. And he directed a couple of episodes of Armando Inucci... Sorry, four episodes of Armando Inucci's Veep. And apparently appeared... I can't remember... Oh, right, he he did the voice of a newsreader in yeah, an episode of sure. Veep as well. I really like Veep, by the way. Um, didn't suffer for Armando Inucci <laughs> leaving and going back to the UK, actually. It stayed good. <laughs> oh, and he appeared on screen in Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle, interviewing Stuart Lee, which was very funny. But yeah, uh, he's not the most prolific guy. He really does wait until he's found the right project, I guess. But yeah, yeah I, I, I do yeah. hope that we hear from Chris Morris again soon. Yeah, so uh, any final thoughts on The Day Shall Come? Makes me want to rewatch Four Lines. Uh, <laughs> has been a while. No, I think, I think yeah. you've said most of <laughs> what we have to say. Yeah, it kind of makes me want to check out some of the old like Jam and Blue Jam stuff, which is probably the stuff of his. I mean, I've watched it all, but I've probably watched it the least of any of his stuff. Like for Day to Day and Brass Eye, I know like the back of my hand. I guess actually his radio shows um, with Blue Jam and um, mm. On the Hour would, would probably be a good place to go. There's probably a load of old Chris Morris radio stuff on YouTube. And of course, really Brass Eye was great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Brass Eye is fantastic, yeah. <laughs> well, they say that Santa Fe is less than 90 miles away. And I got time to roll a number and rent a car. So I guess like the next uh, new film that the two of us have watched, brand new 2019 release, was <laughs> El Camino. That's more Italian than uh, Hispanic, actually. Yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, I did not see this coming. I literally discovered it and watched it the other day. Because um, I'm... Yeah, I was totally like, Yaya isn't even going to know that this is out, is it? And then you messaged me like, uh, have you seen El Camino yet? And I was like, oh, 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 he he, he does know, but apparently uh, not for long. <laughs> yeah, so um, El Camino is the new kind of direct continuation of Breaking Bad, which finished... Uh, it's been a while When now. was it? About... Um, 20, yeah, it was definitely while we were still in It must have been. Uh, yeah, or maybe 2015. I think um, it was 2014. Medical Soul started so. in 2015, yeah. but I don't. Okay, let me. Oh, to September 2013. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense because yeah. we were watching the final episodes when we just moved into that house at uni. Yeah. Um, right. So. Yeah, so the, the new film is written and directed mm. by Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad. 
and stars Aaron Paul, who played Jesse Pinkman in the original series and reprises the role. Oh, here. it was great! It so, was. Um, what did it you was think? definitely a story that I wanted told more immediately than Better Call Saul's originally. You know what I mean? I was very curious what was going to happen to Jesse Pink at the end of Breaking Bad, and I was not very curious about the yeah. the lawyer Saul Goodman. Um, obviously, I'm a huge fan of Better Call Saul now, but at I first I was like, why are they doing this? Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like a pretty shit premise. Well, and also they build it as, it, like, it's going to be more of a comedy. And then it's a, it's like many <laughs> yeah. things, sort of more <laughs> understated drama than Breaking Bad. <laughs> it, it, it definitely wasn't more noticeably comic than Breaking Bad, I don't think. There was def- there was funny moments in Breaking Bad, just like there is in Better Call Saul. Um, like, yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess because uh, yeah. Saul Goodman was originally a bit of a comic relief character on on Breaking Bad. Yeah, he's he does have by a lot of Bob comedy Odenkirk, stuff to his primarily credits. comedian. Um, so, uh, yeah, but hey, it turns out Bob Odenkirk's yeah. a great actor who can uh, do drama as well as anyone. But um, but back to El Camino. Yeah, yeah, no new series of Better Call Saul for twenty nineteen, unfortunately. No, I guess so... this is their attempt to pacify us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so instead, we got this El Camino, and um, yeah, so it picks up yeah. right at the end of. Doesn't Breaking it Bad. start with like um like. What? What is it? Is it a flashback uh, or a flash forwards? And then you just go to Jesse screaming in the car right where it left off. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I thought it was. Um, I liked how sort of realistic it was. How traumatized Jesse was. He yeah, was, he really <laughs> seemed to like be suffering from PTSD and and kept having flashbacks and stuff. And uh, yeah, it wasn't like he just was able to like. I'm the hero. I'm over this. <laughs> yeah, some ass kicking action hero or Doubting something, which he never and... was. He was always kind of yeah, like a, a kind of a pitiable character in a way. Um, yeah, but but I mean, it is it is good to um, see him try and get out of the predicament that he had just kind of wriggled his way out of at the end of Breaking Bad. I enjoyed how much of it was spent fucking just mm, searching through everything yeah. in uh, what's Nazi guy. It, everything in Jesse Plemons's apartment for, for money. and it Intermixed with flashbacks to how fucking psycho that guy was. Uh, like... <laughs> oh god, yeah! Uh, so, so, I mean, I what, what, what's he called? The, the character? Todd, yes. I can't remember. Todd! Thank, f- thankfully, Letterboxd <laughs> tells you the name of uh, the character that people play. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there was a bit of a thing. Like, I was, when... No, I think I actually did mention Probably. this film to you a while Not back. And maybe you just forgot about it. But I think I remember you saying, I'd be interested to see how this film goes, because most <laughs> of the characters seemed uh, pretty dead at the end of the last series. <laughs> Uh, and naturally, yeah. they have flashbacks. Like <laughs> they—that—that's how they get over that. Like pretty easy to have guessed that they were gonna do that, really. Um, so you do get a little bit of of uh, Brian Cranston and Jesse Plemons, and uh, although you only see Brian Mike. right at the very end, where you're like, well, obviously, there's not gonna be any Walt in this, and then. 
Oh, yeah. okay, we get a scene with Walt. Yeah, I fucking knew they were going to do that. Yeah. They were going to flash back to Walt. They were going to reunite like, the two Metatextually, characters. it was not like a complete surprise, but like, you don't really see it coming narratively speaking. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, they've, they've yeah. got a bit of the uh, us and them non-linear thing going here in this one at times. Yeah. Mm. Um, although uh, what I thought was interesting about the film, or well, quite sad actually, is that um, Robert Forrester, the the great veteran actor who you know plays the uh, bail bondsman and Jackie Brown, um, mm. many other roles. Yeah, um, he appears in this film, um, and unfortunately, he died on the day of its release. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Robert Forrester plays the guy who makes people disappear. Not as yes. in he murders them, but he's a vacuum cleaner salesman yes. who uh, basically that's his front for his he operation. He vacuums people's lives clean. Exactly. <laughs> that's the front for his operation where he can make people who need to disappear, disappear. And um, again, that just sounds like he's killing them. No, <laughs> he helps them go into hiding. He helps people who wrong. want to disappear, disappear. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, he, yeah. So I mean Robert Forrester, I forgot actually forgot that he had this role in Breaking Bad. Yeah. Um, but he I mean he's such a legendary actor. He was seen um last year most re- um the most recent thing I saw him in, no it wasn't last year, it was a couple of years ago now. But he basically took the part originally played uh in Ah, God, no, he didn't. Ah, what? No. <laughs> right, so so in the original Twin Peaks, one of the main characters is Sherry, Sheriff Harry Truman, um, who was played by Michael Onkeen, but he retired from acting and he didn't want to return for Twin Peaks The Return. So instead, Robert Forrester played his brother, Frank Truman, um, and was in 10 of the episodes of Twin Peaks of a Return, and he was so great in that. And it's so great that David Lynch gave him, um, you know, so much screen time, like in his, um, just like such a beautiful role to do in his, uh, some of his last years, and also that, that Breaking Bad were able to get him in, in, in this film, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it is a really good performance as well. Like for what looks like terrific. physically a, a feeble old man, but he's got this fantastic, like, I will not be fucked with air, you know? He, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's incredible. I mean, he is just really an amazing actor. Uh, and of course, Jackie Brown remains his, his greatest moment. You Which know? I also rewatched not that long ago. Very, very good film, as you know, I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fucking terrific yeah. film, man. And like, he does really, perform really. well in it, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, just it's such a kind of sympathetic character in a way that Tarantino characters are not always like he comes across as a genuinely nice man <laughs> yeah um and and it's the same in twin peaks the return actually uh he comes across as very nice whereas in this there's this kind of it's great because he's still it's that nice old man but there's this element of danger to him 
you know? And yeah, like he can make or break Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> well, absolutely, yeah. It all that's kind of the crux of the film. It's not revealed until later, but that's the sort of central narrative of the film is that Jesse, who previously didn't he turn down an opportunity to go with yeah. this guy, so he owes him a load of money now. It turns out, um, <laughs> but he Jesse basically is trying to find the vacuum cleaner man. Uh, well, he knows where to find them. But he wants to get to the vacuum cleaner man and give him enough money that he can disappear. Because naturally, after the events of, what, five seasons of Breaking Bad, like, um, Jesse is a very, very, very wanted man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he is extremely wanted. About as wanted as you can be. Yeah, just for a little bit of, like, the biggest meth business ever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just a little, <laughs> little bit of that. <laughs> I liked, uh, so in terms of characters from a series, you get to see his, like, meth head mates. Uh, yeah. Head. Although, to be fair to the lads, they seem to They are honourable gentlemen. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they sm- they just seem to be smoking. <laughs> they they do like, have that joy, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they 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 are yeah, they offer Jesse some, and he doesn't want any. Which like if, more power to him because I would be like, yes, give me that. Get me some meth as well. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. just been locked in a cage for six months or a year or whatever it was. Like, yeah, <laughs> please. All the heroin. Yeah, um. yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so yeah, they 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 live in such an. I guess. Have they made some meth Because I, I can't completely remember the show, but I want to say that they managed to make off okay at the end of Breaking Bad, whereas Jesse got locked up, you know, of course. Um, yeah. They were in on the business a little bit, weren't they, at various yeah. parts? And I think they must have done okay. And so, yeah, they're just living in this nice house with this nice game system and everything. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. cool. And then who comes knocking? Oh yeah, their mate who's been a torture prisoner for ever. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and to be fair, they're well alright to him. (laughs) Yes. They don't don't grass him up or anything. They help him escape, put themselves on the line. Nice little standing up there for, for your friends kind of thing. There yeah, and he, he's like, "Why, why are you doing this?" And and the other guy's like, "Dude, you're like my hero." <laughs> yeah, I forget the it's exact a, line, yeah. but it's something like that. Yeah, it's Badger and Skinny Pete. No, they're probably like, "Bitch, you're like my hero, bitch." Yeah, something like that. After we finally <laughs> see Skinny Pete's hair for the first time ever, because he takes off his hat and gives it to Jesse, oh. it's like, here, this will cover your face a bit, you know. That's uh, yeah. a joke for the heads. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you see what? Well, yeah. <laughs> Back to being a deeply serious uh, podcast on the arts. Um, deeply, deeply. Yeah, also on Robert Forrester, uh, I I think I might be saying his name wrong, it might be Forster, um, mm. but he actually, uh, in 2017, he appeared in two films listed consecutively on his Wikipedia page, <laughs> one, uh, one called Small Town Crime, a 2017 American thriller, and then one called Small Crimes, a 2017 American <laughs> crime film. <laughs> uh, and it turns out he's also in another kind of uh, neo-noir type film that I've been wanting to watch for a while called Too Late. So I don't know, maybe I'll have a little Robert Forrester, uh, Forster, 
marathon yes. tonight. I'm pretty sure it is Forster. Forster. I'm looking at it, yeah. Forster, okay. So Robert Forster, celebrate the great man's work. He was on The Simpsons once. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, yeah, um, anything else in about El Camino that we ought to talk about? Um... The ending was quite bittersweet. Uh, I, I, I actually did tear up a bit. I'd completely forgotten about the whole love love affair uh, in Breaking Bad between... Um, damn it, names. But, you know, Jesse Pinkman's character... Jesse Pinkman and... Um, you mean the character played by Kristen Ritter? Yeah. Who, who Walt... The heroin was. overdose, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he does yeah. sort of kill her, sort of. Yeah, so yeah. He, he definitely doesn't save her. <laughs> yeah, he kind of kills her. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty pretty bleak. Uh, like that's it doesn't come up at all until the very end, does it? And you're just sort of like, I don't know. I was blindsided a little bit. I was like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Fuck. Yeah, Emotions. well, that was kind of. <laughs> I, I, I did, in the months leading up to El Camino coming out, I did actually re-watch a few of the last episodes of Breaking Bad, and that is quite a big thing. Uh, okay. Towards, towards the end of the series, uh, Walt, when the Nazis are taking Jesse prisoner, Walt tells Jesse uh, that, oh, he, yeah, that he yeah. didn't uh, let her live. And so Je- Jesse is suffering the psychological torture of knowing that whilst being literally tortured and held captive by this nazi gang uh, i was thought it was weird in breaking bad they never made they never really emphasized that there were nazis like you'd be <laughs> for not really reading it yeah like, i don't it. think it appeared at all in el camino the nazi side like... no they, they i guess like many white supremacist gangs they kind of keep the the operation afloat by doing crime Right. <laughs> so less, yeah. less obsessed with racism, more with crime, I guess. Yeah, well, so sure. I guess they probably spend most of their time doing crime, and then that <laughs> enables them to, like, you know, have their base of operations where they fly the Confederate flag or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but but it was always. Weird. I mean, towards the end, like I, I of the series, maybe a few of them like. Occasionally, they refer to like the Nazis in Breaking Bad. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I like heard an interview of Vince Gilligan where he was like, "Well, Jesse's with the Nazis, and you know, uh, so they cl- clearly were meant to be Nazis, but it yeah. was always kind of kind of in the in the background, <laughs> just implied or not barely even implied, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stated a few times, but with almost no supporting stuff other than the occasional Confederate flag." Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing, obviously, I've probably said this before, but I find funny about Breaking Bad is that because AMC, the channel in America that it originally aired on, yeah. I think it's still still stuff. The stuff still does air on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, AMC is like a family friendly channel now, as a few years ago. Mm, so they banned okay. all their shows from saying the f word, apart from like. <laughs> one f word per season so i just think it's really funny that because amc is such a family-friendly enterprise uh they just created a show where people use the word bitch about 16 times <laughs> per sentence 
<laughs> it's, it's just like, oh, well, any normal person would say fuck here, but we can't say that, so let's just call someone a bitch then, you know? <laughs> this is a good point. Does Jesse call anybody a bitch in El Camino? I, oh, I yeah, yeah. There was a, I clocked a couple of bitches oh, okay. in there, you know? They've got, they've got to have There's a, a couple. bitch All in right. there now. Just, it's like fan service, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if no one gets called a bitch, and it mainly guys, like, it's not so yeah. much like misogynist <laughs> calling women bitches. It's more just casually chucking bitch around, like it, like the word <laughs> yo. It's a sort of like, it's like... I swear, yo, like, bitch! Yeah, 90% of any... F- Scene with Jesse and Sneak and not Sneaky Pete. He was the steel guitarist <laughs> from Flying Burrito Brothers. Skinny Pete uh, and Badger is just like yo, bitch, yo, bitch, bitch, yo, 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 bitch, bitch, yo, bitch. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but you know, I I liked El Camino. I thought if I was watching it as someone who hadn't watched Breaking Bad, it would be a bit pointless, but as a, of a continuation of the series, like, yeah, solid, good. I liked it. That said, even M got into it at parts. <laughs> Has M not seen Breaking Bad? No, never. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably a perfectly competent kind of thriller. They do set up stuff, like they have all the TV channels saying Walter White, the biggest mm. drug uh, meth manufacturer ever, has died, and Jesse Pinkman There's obviously a whole bunch of context you'd be missing, but yeah, yeah, you could watch it and it tells a narrative that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's probably like the flashbacks wouldn't make as much... The flashbacks, which, uh, you know, yeah. red meat for Breaking Bad fans would probably be a bit confusing to like- people. Why is this here? Uh, yeah, but <laughs> it does quite prominently bill itself as a Breaking Bad film. It does, which yeah. Does then bring the question to mind? Well, if it's a Breaking Bad film, what are they planning? Like, are they planning anything else? I wonder. Well, but... I will say, Mister Vince Gilligan, if you're listening, like, I, I, I would say, go off and do that next series of Better Call Saul and then yeah you know, finish that then, first. then we can talk yeah because <laughs> I'm, I'm locked into the narrative in Better Call Saul I mean it's absolutely uh, it's a terrific show one of those shows that just got better and better with each season in my opinion yeah yeah and, and R- Rhea Perlman who plays I think that's her name isn't it she plays I think so yeah uh oh I thought it was her the, the other lawyer lady is that not no yeah, yeah, okay, but it turns out it's not her in the film that I thought it was her in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I was going to say she was in that new Netflix thriller, Fractured, but um, ah. it's not It's not a great film. I, I don't No, that was it. one of the ones you mentioned that was mediocre. <laughs> that, yeah, very mediocre Netflix film. Um, yeah, I Which mean, seems I, to I, be I, their specialty nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that the Irishman injects a bit of life into proceedings. Well, let's just see if we can make every film three stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, next movie is called Jude, uh, Judy, directed oh, yeah. by uh, Rupert Golb, directed, uh, casted, casted, uh, starring uh, Rene... Rene... Z. Alright. Um Zoli Zla Zellweger. Z E L L L W W E G R E R. Um directed by Rupert Golb, uh star- and Michael Gambon and Jeffy Jeffy Jesse Buckley.
magic potion Getting in an old black car Gonna take a ride so far To the land of suntan lotion Gonna take it state by state Till I hit the golden gate Get my feet wet in the ocean I'm still living the dream we had For me it's not over I'm still living the dream we had For me it's not over Walking on a bridge one day, looking out across the bay, I saw a rippling in the water. Once a big ship had passed, I borrowed a traveler's glass, focused on the ocean's daughter. Kinda like a wave confused, dancing in the sunset hues. She waved to me and called me over. Talking about the enemy inside of me Talking about a youthful fountain Talking about you and me Talking about eternity Talking about the big time I'm